Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles and you like to follow along, Judges chapter 7, story of Gideon. Before I start this morning, I want to uh, thank, thank you all, not necessarily every individual, but thank you for the many that I've heard. And I know that there's, uh, you know, it's wonderful to hear and get reports back what God is doing in our body. And I, I was very encouraged, very thankful and joyful when last week I heard many reports of those who took the sermon and started applying it and having people over and inviting others over. And I, I, I heard many reports and I was so grateful and thankful uh, for that. And so praise be to God. You know, that's God's at work. You're hearing his voice and you're responding to it and doing what you need to do. And I, I can guarantee you as you move forward in faith in that way that you probably have some really good reports about God's goodness and kindness and things that he's done in your midst as a result of it. So wonderful to hear, and I'm just so thankful for it. Well, before we begin, let us... Let's pray and ask that God would open his word to us and that we would hear from him and, and be changed. Father, here we are before you and we look to you to speak, to speak to us by the Spirit through the truth that is revealed in your word. And Father, I have no abilities nor powers, but you have all the powers and unless you speak, and unless we have ears to hear, unless this works in our hearts and our lives, it'll be for no avail. So, Father, I, pr- I pray and I ask that you would, and I believe and I know you want to work in the lives of your people, so please have mercy and work mightily in us, that we would step out and believe and walk according to faith and be children who trust you, that it'll be pleasing to you. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. You know, one of the things I want this series to do is to have us all begin to see that God is really, He's constantly and always at work around us. So when you go to work or you go to the grocery store or whenever, whatever, or whenever you go, whatever you're going to, you're going into a world where God is at work. He's doing things. And what you need to become good at is recognizing where He's at work. Begin to see and understand God at work in your world because he's there working. And begin to recognize the signs and to begin to hear from him in his word and in prayer and circumstances in the church body. Begin to recognize his voice. And we need to become good at this because if we don't know how to interpret what God is doing or saying, we will aimlessly miss what has happened happening around us. And so much is going on, and we just don't have eyes, or e- eyes to see it or ears to hear it. So I hope that you're getting better at it. I hope that there's some improvement where you're, you're actually more conscious of it. You're actually looking more often. You're seeking to see what is God doing. Where is he at work? God, where, you know, hearing his voice, even while you are reading the word and praying and through the circumstances of life and through the body. And realize, you know what? God is very active. But too often we're racing and rushing and we don't hear him or see him doing what he's doing because it's far too invisible for us. Something's, as we uh, look into this this morning, the title of this morning's message is God's revelation leads to a crisis of belief. 
And as we look at this particular one, one of the things that happens is when God does reveal to you where he's at work and he calls you to join him, you know, you know what happens? There's inevitably a crisis of belief. And the reason for this is because responding to God will mean responding to a God-sized assignment. Not a man-sized, but a God-sized, which is beyond you. And in, in order to see this in the life of God's children, you know, we could look at Noah, we could look at Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and many others. This morning, I want us to focus on Gideon because I think it's a wonderful picture of what it's like to come to that crisis of faith, crisis of belief, realizing that you have, you're called to do something that's way beyond you. And so in Judges chapter 7, Gideon was called by God to deliver Israel from the Midianites. Israel cried out to God, Oh Lord, deliver us. Have mercy upon us. Because that's the cycle in Judges, right? God brings judgment. God brings punishment. God brings an oppressor. He comes over his people, you know, and oppresses them. And he does this, why? To get his people's attention. Does that sound familiar today in America? Hello? Wake up! We still put our hope, we still put our trust in a a president to deliver us. It's pathetic. And this is kind of the state of Israel was in in so often. And God wants them. He, He disciplines and he corrects the point where they cry out. And they look to him and him alone to save them. And this is what's another one of these cases. And even though God assured Gideon in many ways, he gave him, you know, proof after proof that he would be with him. He'd go before him and he accomplished this. Gideon was... He has constant, uh, constantly a crisis of faith. He's struggling. This is hard for him. Because he wasn't being called into a man-sized, a Gideon-sized assignment. He's called into a God-sized assignment. And this is how it reads in Judges chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, that is, Gideon, clearly he has a couple names, And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many. Too many. They're too many for me to give the Midianites into your hands, into their hand. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Okay, simple enough. What happens? 22,000 of people took off. I'm glad you spared me. I'm out of here. And 10,000 remained. They're cut in half. A little less than half. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Okay. And the Lord said to Gideon, people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone who's of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go with you. And what happens? 
Well, they go down, and those who lap like a dog and those who scoop up with their mouth, there are two groups of people. And again, he cuts them down. And he cuts them down to 300. 300. So why did God want to make sure? Why does he want to make sure that Gideon's assignment is not a Gideon-sized assignment or a man-sized assignment, but a God-sized assignment? Well, the answer is given in verse 2. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Do you see what God doesn't want to have happen? He wants them to know, you're going to follow me, and when I, and you follow me, and I call you into this. This is going to be huge, because it's, you're going to know that there's no other way. It's not me, please. It couldn't be me. And actually, that's obvious. I don't even have to explain it. This is God-sized. God didn't want Israel to be praised for it. It had to be obvious to everyone that it was God. God was going to be glorified in the midst of Israel. And the way God is glorified is when it's a God-sized task and everyone knows it, where there's only one explanation, God. And God must be among us. God is with us. So when God calls you to do something, don't expect to be able to do it in your own strength. You've got to know, understand even, the, even the, the breadth and the depth of it and understand what you're really being called to. I've used this before. But even a simple thing of knowing clearly what has God called husbands to? Love their wives as Christ loved the church. Should our response be, all right, no problem, here we go. Or should it be, oh Lord God, how, how, how is this possible? How is this possible? And he says, it's not possible apart from me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But by Christ, you can do all things. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now that requires, at that point, a crisis of belief, a crisis of faith. We're called to do something that's God's size. And the reason for this is because responding to God will require faith. It's, it's necessarily um, required. Faith is the only thing you can walk forward in. You have to believe. God was going to do something big through Gideon. But like always, it was going to mean that Gideon was have to, would have to walk forward trusting God. But God knew Gideon was afraid. Let's pick up the story at verse, uh, verse 9. It says, That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. Listen to this phrase here. But if you are afraid to go down, God understands. He knows this is a, a fearful thing. If you're afraid to go down, then go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. What does this tell us about Gideon? So God says, if, if you're afraid, go down to the camp. What does Gideon do? Goes down to the camp to listen. What does this tell us? Gideon's afraid. And wouldn't you be? He's fearful. And then look at what he sees. This is how the story picks up in verse 12. 
And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered him, this is no other than the sword of Gilead, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Well, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Now, everything before Gideon's eyes, what was it telling him? He's a dead man. This is impossible. Are you kidding me? These guys, we're going to be a light snack for them. This is not going to be good. 300 against hundreds of thousands. (laughs) Figure the odds. They're not good. And he was going to do something that was crazy. Verse 12 says that he saw the people lying on the valley like locusts in abundance. Now, in that country, they're used to seeing Locusts, swarms of locusts, lots of locusts. They would have, you know, I was looking on the internet this week and I was going to put a picture up here for you and to show you how bad it can be at times. And these swarms will actually, they'll darken the sun at times. It gets black. They're so thick. And when they land on crops and that, it's so dense that you can't see the ground because it just completely covers it. And these people are used to seeing lots of locusts. So when he describes this, unlike us, we don't see locust swarms, and we don't see them move in. We might see lots of grasshoppers. I remember seeing so many one time up north in northern Canada that the, the, the road was moving, and that actually it, it became slippery. If you hit the brakes, you'd, you'd just start spinning down the, the road because it turns slimy when you run over them. And it gives you an eerie feeling of invasion. <laughs> You're being taken over, and if you fell out of the vehicle, you'd probably be consumed uh, so I, in some ways, and kind of understand, but he, this is what he's seeing with his eyes. He's seeing them as locusts. Basically, they just cover the land. They're everywhere. And then he says their camels look like the sand on the seashore. Well, we've all probably around here live close enough to the seashore where you see that. Uh, well, that's beyond number. You can't even start to count. There's so many of them. So contrary to what his eyes were seeing, Gideon had to believe God. His eyes were telling him what? You're crazy. This isn't possible. You're dead. And it won't take long. But So Gideon, you can understand, it says he was afraid. So he went down. And when he heard this story about them hearing the dream, he gained enough confidence at least to go. Blackaby in his book, he put it... um, He made a comment about this, and not about the story of Gideon, but just about what it's like trusting God. He says, when God invites you to join him in his work, he presents a God-sized assignment he wants to accomplish. It will be obvious to you 
that you can't do it on your own. If God doesn't help, you will fail. This is the crisis point at which many people decide not to follow what they sense God leading them to do. Then they wonder why they don't experience God's presence, power, and activity the way some Christians do. He went on to say that Christians, as well as everyone else, have a natural tendency to try building a life in which faith is unnecessary. We establish a comfort zone where everything is in our control, but this is not pleasing to God. Isn't that true? If you're at all like me, you hate the unknown. You hate walking into a situation where you haven't, don't have it all figured out. Where it's too big for you. You don't like that. What do we like? Comfort. Well, when you're comfortable, everything's under your control. Everything's manageable. Don't you notice when you're the most comfortable, everything's the most manageable? Everything's going good. And then... And then Are you a person of faith? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But this is why we have to understand that responding to God always reveals our faith. It shows the nature of our faith. And apart from faith, as we know, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. God delights in weak people trusting in his great strength. That's his joy to watch his people step forward, weak, unable, incapable, bigger than them, but my God is with me. It's, you know, it's so easy for him. He has the strength. It's what he does. And in the case of Gideon, he had to act before he would see the salvation of the Lord. God makes it this way, and I find this very interesting. Let's look at how this unfolds, starting at verse 19. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred... So he only has 100 men here, and here's why. He broke the 300 into three sections, 100 each. So Gideon and the 100 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. When they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their hands the torches, and in their right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army of Midian ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. They started, in other words, they started killing one another. (laughs) They're just going crazy. They don't know what's going on. They're freaking out. They lost their minds. And the army fled as far as Beth. Shittah towards Zerorah, and as far as the border of Abel Mehola by Tabath. You guys all know where that's at, right? It's down the street. (laughs) So here's the interesting thing to understand. Note something here. Gideon didn't receive any deliverance until when? He has to go down at this watch, Nothing's happened yet. He has to blow the trumpets and break these jars. I don't know exactly what the breaking of the jars was. I couldn't figure that one out. But anyways, he has to let the army know he's there. He blew his cover. At this point, it's too late. It's, late. You, it's full commit. 
You're basically a war trumpet outside the camp declares war on these people. And there's only 300 of you. And they have hundreds of thousands of people. You have now just done something that I guarantee you. What do you think Gideon was like when he did that? Do you think his, his heart might have been pounding just a little bit? I'm sure it was. His stomach was probably right in his throat. His knees were shaking, maybe even wet his pants a little bit. I don't know. The thing is, he's scared because he's full commit. But God hasn't noticed how God hasn't done anything yet. So he, ha- he requires Gideon to go and, do, and fully commit to the action. And then what happens? Then God shows up. Why? Because would it take faith if God shows up and then Gideon's to go down? No. He must believe that the God is going to do what he's promised, go down and fully commit. And upon fully committing, there his faith was proven and God shows up. This is not easy to do. Because living by faith is to be willing to be uncomfortable. To step into situations that are bigger than you. That require more resources than you have. Do you find that your life is so often you try to, to, to reason, to negotiate, to plan, to organize everything so that it's, I will do if, I will do when. And as long as everything just lines up perfectly, and, and we have all the assurance and all the strength and all the feel before we go, that we won't go. Have you ever even had a, like, say something like a conversation with somebody, the tough kind? You need to address an issue. And you're praying, and to what you're praying for, you're like, you don't dare go do it because you're not feeling very um, courageous at the moment. You're not feeling like you know what you're going to say. You know that you don't know how it's going to work out. One thing you know is that the Lord has revealed to you that you need to go and speak with them. So you know that much. You know what the Lord has called you to. But doing that, why does it scare you? Because I know that I I don't know what to say. I don't know what's going to happen. How are they going to respond? Couldn't you just make a list? You could probably get the whiteboard here and say, make a list of all the things and the reasons why you can't go. One of the things that we often do is we, we're, we're a lot like Gideon in so many ways. I like this example because what Gideon does is you notice if you read the whole story, he's, he's scared the whole time. And, Lord, how will I know? Well, how, can you do this? You remember the fleece? Okay, Lord, if you're with me, and we're in conquer, I'll, I'll conquer. Uh, I'll put the fleece out and... and and if it's dry and, and, and there's dew all around it, then I'll know that you're with me. So he goes to sleep, wakes up in the morning, guess what? There it was. Okay, um, all right. I believe you, but please be patient with me. I'm still freaked out. Could you, just to make sure, 
could we flip that order around? Could, could I put the fleece out? Could it be all wet with dew and the ground be dry? So he goes to bed. He wakes up. Sure enough, there it was. And God, even, even after that, God says, you know, Gideon, if you're scared, if you're afraid, go down and I'll um, let you hear a dream they had and show you that I am going to deliver you. God, even though he calls us to faith, he's gracious and kind. And Gideon, you know what? Gideon wasn't making excuses not to go. Do you notice that? He planned on going. It's just that he's struggling. And he just really needed to know that God was with him. So he asked God to assure him, to strengthen him. He wasn't making an exit strategy. He wasn't talking about and figuring out how he could get out of it. He was wrestling with God, and, and, and God met him in his weakness and comforted him. But know one thing. God is not going to give you what he's promised until you, by faith, walk forward. And only at that point do you see God show up. You know, I'm, af- I'm afraid that so often there are situations in our lives where we wonder sometimes why God isn't doing a lot of things in our lives. Why is my heart going cold? And I was thinking about this, you know, even the church in Ephesus in Revelation, where they've lost their first loves, their first love. And then he says to them, do the things that you did at first. I wonder. I don't know exactly what he meant. Like sometimes people speculate on what that meant. But perhaps it was they no longer walked by faith, trusting God. They started living the comfortable life. And getting, make, trying to do whatever they can to make life easy. Because I'll tell you what, one of the things that wouldn't, I know it stirs me up. Whenever I think of things that I've done in faith, I remember these moments. And I remember being scared. I remember being um, unable to really sleep sometimes. I remember praying more intensely than I normal do, normally do. I remember anxiety. I remember my knees knocking. I remember my heart pounding. But I remember God showing up when I went forward. And I remember the exhilaration and the excitement when I did that. And how God becomes vivid and real and his power. And you experience him in ways you haven't experienced him. And it's like it excites you and bring, brings you to life. You know, and I have to um, be honest with you. I can, there's areas in my life where I see I have a really hard time trusting God. I was going through this, and I was thinking, man, you know what's so difficult for me at times? I hate awkward. I hate uncertainty. I hate those moments, and especially when it comes to being bold and sharing my faith. I have, I've had times where I've been given opportunity. There's an opportunity for me to step forward, and I've shrunk back. Why? I was afraid. And so often what I want is I want God's strength and power and everything beforehand. And I realized, I was convicted even in preparing this and realized, you know, Dean, one of your fundamental problems is that you don't like to walk by faith. It's, isn't it much easier to walk by sight? And I th- thought even, even us as a, like a reformed denomination and a reformed group of people, you know what, everything we like to do is everything's got to be calculated out, and it has to be reasonable, and it has to be according to the data and the math, and everything's, before we take action, everything's just got to work out just right. And we tie a nice little bow on there, say, therefore, given all the rationale, all the reasoning, everything we have together, we have, we have this under control, therefore, let's move forward. Boom. And this, this crowd, this 
kind of a thinking attracts people who are like that. They love to think out and reason out and make sure everything works out and everything lines up. And once everything does, okay, now I'm rest assured, now I have full confidence, now I'll move forward. Does that please God? Well, no. Because where do you trust him? Where do you walk by faith trusting him? God gives the promise, but he doesn't give the power until we walk forward in faith. That's the way it works. Go read your Bibles. Read the stories. He promises, and all they have to move forward on is just the promise. They don't receive any of the power, anything that he's promised, until they walk forward in faith, and at that moment, then he shows up in power. It requires his people go forward in trepidation and in fear and walk forward into that place of the unknown, sometimes into that, often into the place of the impossible where God and God alone must show up. Blackaby retells a story of how it, the church he was a pastor of was called by God to do something beyond their comfort zone. And I thought it was a really good story of how this all comes together. And I'm going to read it for you. If you read the, this chapter this week... It was, the, it was the very first part of that book. But if not, it's a really good example of how this comes together in a very current or con- more of a contemporary application. Here's how he tells it. One year when I was a pastor, the people of our, our church finance committee said, Pastor, you've taught our congregation to walk by faith in every area except in the budget. I asked them to explain. They said, well... When we set the budget, we establish it on the basis of what we believe we can afford to do. It does not reflect what we expect God, that, that we expect God to do anything. Hmm, Blackaby said as he reflected. Then how do you feel we ought to set the budget? First, we should determine all that God wants to do through us. Second, we need to estimate what, estimate what the cost will be. Finally, we need to divide the budget goal into three categories. One, what we plan to raise. Two, what others have promised to help us to do. And three, what we must depend on God to provide. Blackaby said that as a church, we prayed and decided that God did, did indeed want us to take this approach to budgeting. But we did not try to dream our own dreams for God. We had to be absolutely sure God was leading us to do the things that we put in the budget. Then we established, we, then we estimated what God's plans would cost. We listed what we thought our people would give and what others, denominational, denominational agencies, partnership churches, and donors would give. And then we took these totals and then we figured out the difference between them and the total needed for what we would ask God to provide. The big question was, do we actively proceed on everything covered in the first two columns? And hold off on the faith column until we see the funds coming in? Or do we proceed with all that God has said to do, trusting God to provide as we go? That's what they were wrestling with. At this point, 
we reached a crisis of belief. Did we really believe that God, that the God who led us to do these things would also provide the resources to bring them to pass? They decided that by faith they would adopt the grand total of their operating budget. And this is what he went on to say. This was the result. That year, based on all we sensed God leading us to do, we established a budget that was more than twice what we would have set given our own resources. God poured out his blessing and taught us a radical lesson in faith. We received more funds than even our expanded faith budget had anticipated. And why? Because this is how our God works. When he calls, when he reveals to us what it is he wants us to do, he provides. He provides. Now, don't get the wrong idea. This doesn't mean you can run off and do whatever you want to do and God will provide and bless. That's a totally different idea. This is not the idea. These people were seeking the Lord and as a church believed that this is what the Lord was calling them to do. So they were convinced of that. And to do that, this is what the resources would take. So it was God revealing to them and calling them to do a work. It wasn't them, as he said in here, dreaming up a dream. Oh, what would you guys like to do? I don't know. What would you like to do? Let's do something crazy. Let's just do something God-sized. And then just do something that God himself has not called you to do. You can't expect him to show up in that case. You probably expect him to teach you a lesson and let you trip and fall. When we go forward in faith, this is something we have to understand. This is what the Bible tries to get us to believe. That when we walk forward in faith, believing the promises of God, what it is God has revealed to us, what it is God has called us to do, God will show up. And God will get the glory. And people will see that it was a God thing, not a man thing. They will see that God is truly among his people. But if we live life constantly in the comfortable, constantly in the realm of the doable, constantly in the realm of, you know, within our capacity and capabilities and resources, that's where we live our lives. Does the world see that God is among us? I think that's why Jesus said in John 14 that when the Spirit comes, you guys are going to do greater works. And it says there, and they'll see these and glorify your Father in heaven. When the world sees that God is amongst us, that God is powerful, that God provides, that he is our God, it has an incredible testimony. So let me end with this, cl- this question towards you. What is it that God is calling you to do? Maybe there's been something in your life where you know the Lord has clearly called you to do something. You need to perhaps talk to somebody. You need to perhaps do something or take care of some business. Perhaps there's something clearly that God has revealed to you that you need to do, and I don't know what it is. But you know. What is it that he's called you to do and you're not doing because you're afraid, because you don't know, and because you're uncomfortable? Know this, that you will not experience or know the power and the grace of God until you walk forward in faith, believing that he will provide what it is you need. And then and only then will you experience the grace, the power, and the amazing work of God in your life. But as a Christian, don't expect to live an easy, comfortable life. 
expect to, to obey God, follow him, and know that you'll have to walk by faith, and he's going to have to show up. He's going to have to provide. He's going to have to strengthen because I don't have it. I'm walking into scenarios and situations where I don't have it. I'm not capable. And at that moment, it requires faith, believing and trusting God. And may that be who we become as the people of God. Amen. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful that we get corrected and rebuked by you and taught and instructed by you and shaken by you. I'm so thankful, Father, that you treat us as children and not as reprobate, leaving us, casting us off. But you deal with us. You're constantly dealing with us and working in us. I praise you, O Lord, for this grace. I praise you for what it is you do in our lives. And I ask, Father, please, would you grant us the faith to walk forward believing and trusting in you and to do the hard things, to do the impossible things. When you've called us, we believe that this is what you want us to do, and we know that you have clearly revealed this to us. May we walk forward believing that you will grant the grace. You will grant the strength, the wisdom, the understanding, the words, whatever it is. You will grant it, O Lord. May we be that kind of people. May we be like Gideon and go down into an impossible situation and blow the trumpets. For Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus, your beloved Son. Amen.